Appreciate it. Uh, we're in a series uh, called David, Flawed Human, Holy God. And we're going to jump in today to the story of David and a guy named Uriah, who things don't go so well for Uriah, if you know the story, um, and a woman named Bathsheba. And uh, I'm just going to pray before we jump in. I actually think this is something that no matter where you're at in your life, I think this story has something to teach us about God's character, who he is, uh, and, and how we can relate to him. It's one of the most tragic stories in all of scripture. Uh, but there's some really good hope in here. And, it, and, I, and there's a lot in here about who God is and how he deals with tragedy. Uh, so I'm just going to pray and uh, just ask the Lord to speak to us today as we look into his word. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Um, I just pray, Lord, that as we jump into this story, that we would encounter you. That's really why you've given us the scriptures. Victor shared so well in his testimony that he stood on your word as opposed to what he was hearing around him. Uh, and he encountered you. And I just pray that in the same way, Lord, that as we look into your word, that we'd actually encounter you, the reality of who you are and what it means to know you today. So bless us as we read and may our hearts be open to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I always share, uh, usually in our, in our services, I, I usually like to welcome people that maybe you're here and you're not a regular churchgoer. Maybe you're not a Jesus follower. Um, and, and the reason I like doing that is because my hope is that you'll encounter Jesus. He's, he's real. He's good. He's awesome. And, and our desire is that you would just, you would encounter him. And this story in particular, the reason I think it's, it's, uh, encouraging is because there's some things that go on in today's story that you and I have experienced a lot. Okay. So I'm not going to get you to, to show your, you know, to raise your hand, but if I did, I'll bet you most of you would, would raise your hand. Um, but how many of us, and just think about it, have heard about a church scandal, like a leadership scandal, where some big name leader does something scandalous and terrible in the church, okay? Uh, and, and how many of us have seen it? So even some of the most popular documentaries on Amazon Prime and Netflix, they're actually documentaries and stories about Christian communities that were really corrupt, okay? There's some podcasts uh, right now that are some of the most popular podcasts on these podcast sites about Christian leaders and Christian ministries that have done scandalous things and have like really um, brought destruction to people's lives and their hearts and all these things. And so there's a lot of people that have kind of walked away from the church and they're like, man, if that's what the church is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And, and a lot of people have actually seen, sometimes when scandalous things happen in a church, and I'm not talking about outside of the church, there's lots of scandals in you know, government, every institution experiences it, but I'm talking specifically about the church today. A lot of people, when they see those kinds of things and, and walk away, what, what you see is, you see people that are kind of trying to sweep things under the rug, trying to make it look like it didn't actually happen. And on today's story, you're going to see something uh, that God does that's very different than the tendency that people sometimes have to cover things up that shouldn't be covered up. And so I find it really comforting, you know, in this uh, age that we live in where people are kind of walking away from the church because of some of these negative and horrible things that have happened. I find it comforting to see how God deals with these kinds of things. But it's also scary. So there's, you're going to be comforted today as we read this story, but it's also 
kind of scary because of the way that God uh, actually acts out judgment. Uh, there's no way to read this and for us to walk away going like, well, I'm pretty awesome. Like, <laughs> the, and when you actually encounter the reality of what God says in the scripture, you, you're, you're comforted because of how awesome and good God is. But you're also like, man, I need his grace because I don't match up to that. Right? So we're, we're looking at uh, David, okay? And, and this is going to be a turning point. So if you've been tracking with this series up until this point, uh, we've, been, we've been encountering David as a really uh, passionate person. He loves God, okay? So uh, we talked about David as a young boy when he was anointed to be the next king of, of Israel. And, and he was anointed and nobody knew about it. It was kind of done in secret. And, and, but he knew that God had his hand on him. And so it was encouraging to see David, this guy that was kind of neglected and forgotten about, uh, but there was a special touch from God on David's life. And then David uh, goes and defeats this giant Goliath. Most people that, even if you're not a, uh, a regular churchgoer or read the Bible, like you know, you know the gist of the story of David and Goliath. And it's an incredible story. David trusts God. And, and David actually, we talked about it. The reason David defeated Goliath was because he actually looked and saw that God was far bigger than Goliath. So he wasn't afraid of Goliath because he was like, no, no, God is bigger than Goliath. Why would I need to be afraid? Kind of, again, to reference Victor's story, you know, Victor and Michelle, they're, they're tempted to be really intimidated by the news that they'd gotten. But in the scriptures, what they realized was like, God's bigger than anything that I hear from, you know, medical community or the world around me. They, they leaned into God and who he says he is, right? So David did that. Um, David has an incredible friendship with Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of the king. Jonathan gave up everything in order to have uh, a friendship with David. And it was an amazing story. Um, we, we encountered David on the run from the, this like evil, maniacal King Saul. And David refused to do anything ungodly. He just worshiped God. He was passionate. And then when David becomes king, we talked about it last week, he, his first act as king is to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel because he wanted to make the statement that God is going to characterize this nation of Israel. I'm going to be the king, but, but I'm going to lean on God and who he says he is, right? It was, it's incredible. But this is a turning point in the story. David, at this point in the story, what we're going to read, he's been the king for a while, and, and David has experienced power. You ever heard the statement, um, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely? You ever heard something similar? There's like different ways people say it, but... Uh, people talk about that a lot. Like when people are in positions of power, there's this temptation to be corrupt, to do things that are self-motivated or self-focused. And most people that have power, they do that. So, and for most of us that have not been in, we, we don't consider ourselves to be in position, positions of power. We look at people that are in positions of power that have done scandalous things and we're like, oh, that's so corrupt. It's so horrible, right? But David, he's one of these guys that like, he actually had power and he had had power at the point we're going to encounter here in the story. He had been like experiencing what it means to have power for quite some time. And there's a turning point in the story. So up until this point in the story, he's passionate. He loves God. Everything he does is for God. Before he goes into battle, he prays. He says, God, should I go? Should I not go? And God answers him. And, and when, when God says go, he does. When God says don't, he doesn't. Like he's just been walking with God. But the turning point in the story. So uh, I'm going to kind of uh, give you a breakdown of the story. I'm not going to read that, that kind of longer section, but I would encourage you to do it. If you, if you uh, want to read 1 Samuel 11 and 12, uh, Psalm 51, read it. We're going to read part of it today. But here's a little bit of the breakdown. So David, uh, he's like, 
he, he usually, what kings do in, in the days of David is there was a certain time of year where they would go out to battle. And, and that time of year came and David decided that he was going to stay back in his palace and he was going to send his troops out to battle. And if you're familiar with the story, David has these like elite troops uh, called David's Mighty Men. There's 30 of them. And they would go and they would lead the army and they would go and do battle. <clears throat> and they were an incredible group of guys. And David, this, at this point in his life, he was like, you know what? I've fought the battles. I've done all the awesome things. I've done things for God. I'm just going to stay back. And he stays back in his palace and just kind of hangs out. And I imagine he drinks coffee every morning, like the really fancy stuff. Okay, so it's like lattes or whatever. He's just hanging out. He's enjoying kind of the high life. All right. He's just like living the dream in his mind. All right. And, and he's hanging out and he's up on his palace roof one morning and he sees this woman, Bathsheba, a couple of rooftops across. We don't really do this in Thunder Bay. You guys ever watch, you guys ever watch like Spider-Man and you see him like jumping from rooftop to rooftop? I've always lived in cities like Thunder Bay and I'm like, I don't think Spider-Man could survive in Thunder Bay or in like cities I've been in because you can't really, like rooftops are so far apart here, right? Um, but you got to imagine, he's in ancient Israel, okay? And the rooftops are close together and David's up on his rooftop and he looks across and he sees this woman, Bathsheba, bathing and he falls in lust with her, okay? David sees her, he's, He's got, you know, his, she's not his wife. He sees her and he inquires about her and finds out her husband is actually one of his mighty men, one of his top elite guys, and he's in battle. So David brings Bathsheba back to the palace and gets her pregnant. Okay, and he thinks there's nothing wrong with it because he's in this position of power where he's like, he's been making decisions for people's lives for so long that he just figures he could do whatever he wants. So he does this thing and he thinks nothing of it. She goes back. And she finds out a month later, a month and a half later, she's pregnant and she sends word to David. So then David's in panic mode because then he's like, oh man, my sin is going to catch up with me. People are going to find out that, that I got her pregnant. So, so he starts to scheme, okay? And, and so what he does is he, he finds out who her husband is and he calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the battlefield, okay? And he figures, David figures, if I get Uriah back into Jerusalem, then he'll go be with his wife. And then when he finds out, she's pregnant and everybody finds out they'll be like oh well Uriah was home from the battle and you know stuff happened I won't go into <laughs> the detail but they, she got pregnant right so he figures that's what's going to happen but Uriah he's one of David's mighty men he's like he's like this man of integrity and when David brings him back to Jerusalem David has a meeting with him in the palace and I'm sure Uriah's like what's this all about you could have done this over zoom right um but he didn't so he's like what's this all about so he's there and, and, uh, but Uriah is such a man of integrity that he refuses to go home and be with his wife. So David's kind of panicking. He's like, what am I going to do? So the next night, David brings him back and he, he gives him, you know, some of the finest wine. Okay. So he moves on from, from latte to giving like the best alcohol that, that David had available to him. And he figures if Uriah gets, you know, if he, if he feels it a little bit, then maybe, maybe he'll go and be with his wife. And Uriah, again, he refuses. And he says to David, and this should have been a marker. He's like, He's like, King David, how could I go and be with my wife when my brothers are on the battlefield and they're suffering for your, for your battle? Like they're, they're fighting for you. How could I go and just, you know, enjoy myself when these guys are struggling? Like, I, I won't do it. So then again, David gets scheming. So he's like, in, he's in panic mode. So he writes a letter, okay? And, and he seals it and he gives it to Uriah and says, give this to the commander, to Joab. Okay, so Uriah goes back to the battlefield and he's carrying in his pocket, he's got this letter from David with his death sentence in it. He doesn't know it. 
And David has given very clear instructions to Joab. He says, you know, you guys are going to, you know, when you get into the heat of the battle, I, I want you to like be right in the middle of it. And you all the men are going to pull back when Uriah, like when the archers start firing and things are crazy, like pull back. Right. So they do that. And Uriah is killed. And then David brings Bathsheba into his home and marries her. It's scandalous. It's this really scandalous story. And, and you know what? It's actually quite disturbing because there are lots of stories like this, even within the church, where there's things that have happened from leaders that have done things that are just horrible things that should not have been done. And sometimes the tendency that people have is to kind of sweep stuff like that under the rug. Be like, well, you know, it's not so bad. And, and the way God deals with this is so different. And it's incredibly comforting. And so when I see people that have kind of walked away from the church and they're like, oh, God is, you know, this stuff's all just, it's fake, it's phony. Look at all these scandals. Look at all these people that have done these horrible things. You know, and they, and they kind of walk away. I actually read stories like this and I'm like, did you see what God said and how he responded though? Because if we encounter the real God, not just what we hear about from other people, but if we actually encounter God for who he is, we'll actually have an understanding of what his heart is like and it's incredibly comforting. And also, before we get too judgmental, and I don't want to, I'm not going easy in any way on David, but the more that I read this story and the more that I encounter scripture, the question that I have is I'm like, God, if I was in the same position, is that tendency there in me? Because that's really what these stories are supposed to do for us is we, we see ourselves in them and we see David and he's been in this position of power. Most of us don't know what that feels like. We don't know what it's like to, to tell people how to live their lives and to command armies and victories, whatever. We don't, we don't know what it's like to walk with that kind of power. My question when I read it, I'm like, God, if I, if I did, is that same tendency there in me? Because if it is God, then my prayer is like, God, deal with that. Make me like you. Do whatever you got to do to make me like like Jesus. I can't do it in my own strength. And so before we get too uh, finger pointing at David, it's so important to, to read the story and go like, is, is that same, you know, sort of tendency there? And so we're going to read First uh, Samuel chapter 12, just the first part of it. And, and what David did, it's kind of ironic. God sends this guy, Nathan, uh, to confront David. So I was like, man, I get to read this story today. And it's kind of a fun irony. So um, if you're feeling rebuked today, it's, it's like similar to David. You've also got a Nathan reading you this, this story today. But God sends this guy, Nathan. He was like David's pastor. And he, uh, you're going to, and, and I love the way this happens. I want you to catch this. I'm going to explain it to you before I read it. Dave, uh, Nathan makes up a story because David is also the judge of, of Israel. Okay. And so David is used to making decisions about other people's lives. David got to decide, like, if you did something wrong, Okay, so if you know, Fritz right here, he's on his phone. If Fritz did something wrong and was brought before David, David would get to decide whether Fritz lived or died, right? He could do it. No one could ask any questions about it. That was the kind of stuff David did on a regular basis. And so Nathan makes up this story to get David to pass judgment. And, and so just listen into the brilliance of how this uh, comes across. Starting in verse 1 of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David, he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. So just a little cute lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. 
Now there was a traveler. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So, so the story that Nathan is, is making up is, is about this rich man that steals the one little lamb from his poor neighbor. And, and Nathan is saying to David, what should be done about this? What should we do to this rich man that did this horrible, horrible deed? So it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And listen to how Nathan responds. He says, he says to David, you are that man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave, I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Now, listen to this verse 12. It says, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So we're just going to, there's two things I want to draw from this story. And the first is this. God does not sweep scandals under the rug to protect those in power. So in verse 12 of this chapter that we read, God says this to David. He says, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So there's been a lot of horrible things that you and I have witnessed in our lifetimes that have been done by those in positions of power. We've talked about it some here. We've talked about some of the things that went on with residential schools and the involvement of the church in what happened at residential schools. Sexual abuse scandals, abuse of power, moral failures in the church. And you know, I'm convinced that what people are most hurt by when those things happen is how people respond. But when you get to encounter God, and the reason that we dive into the scriptures on a weekly basis is because we want to know what God is like. And so... As a, as a young pastor moving to a northern city and hearing about uh, some of the racial, the history that's gone on with racism here, um, in some ways it was intimidating because I, I'm watching people from my generation walk away from the church because of some of the horrible things that have been done. And I'll be honest with you, there's been times in my life where I was tempted to do the same because of some of these scandals that have taken place and with like, just it seems like some people are trying to cover up some of these horrible things that have happened. But then when I read in the scriptures, I see God, he, he takes David, and David arguably is one of God's favorite people. And we know God doesn't have favorites, okay? But he's this guy in scripture, we've talked about it, he's get, he gets the title, a man after God's own heart. If God was going to sweep anything under the rug for anybody, it would have been for David. 
David was this incredible leader. For the rest of the, the story of Scripture, after David dies, we hear back about David. David followed God. If God was going to sweep things under the rug on behalf of anybody, it would have been for this guy. But God doesn't do that. You know why? Because God saw what David did to the victims, to those that didn't have power. Uriah, who was kind of a no-name. Okay? He's in the story that Nathan told about Uriah compared, compared Uriah to a guy that had one little lamb. Right? God looks, he sees Uriah, the victim. He sees Bathsheba, who was also taken advantage of in this situation by a very powerful man, this, the king of Israel, the most powerful man. Bathsheba's taken advantage of and, and brought in David's home and palace and, and David does things that he shouldn't have done. And what does God do? God says, David, you did this thing secretly. So what God was saying to David, you know what? It could have been swept under the rug, but we're not doing that. The punishment you get is going to be public. And so we see the grace of God in the rain. <laughs> we see the grace of God. It's just... Just a little, a little start. So um, if it gets crazy or torrential, we'll, we'll run in, okay? So that's the first thing, is that God um, does not sweep scandals under the rug to protect those in power. And secondly, just kind of watching the rain here. We're good, I think. Um, this is the second thing I want to draw from, is God actually uses our own judgment to bring judgment on us. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And so, did you notice in this story that God actually had David... Hey, what's up? God, God actually had David pronounce judgment on himself. And the reason I was warning us about not being too quick to judge David isn't because we want to sweep anything under the rug that was done. But it's when you encounter God for who he is, you also encounter yourself for who you really are. You catch that? When we encounter God for who he really is, we actually start to get a, a clearer picture of who we are and we realize that all of us are like David. Most of us are not in a position of power to scheme the way David schemed and to do that kind of scandal. But all of us have schemed and been dishonest and done things that we should not have done. And in this story, God actually has David pass judgment on himself. When David hears a story about what he's done, and it was, a, it was a made up story, so he didn't see himself in it, he was so mad, he said, that guy should be killed. And then Nathan, the prophet, looks back and says, you are that man. And David is just taken by that, right? Like his, it's like, I, I imagine in that moment, his heart probably almost stopped when he realized, I am the one that's done this. And then he falls to his face and he repents and he calls out to God. Okay, so the first, the first lesson we learn from this is God doesn't sweep these things under the rug. So thank God. When, when, when I see things going on in, in this world and, and people angry at the church because of things that are done, in some ways I'm like, I think God is exposing evil. God actually likes it when scandals are exposed, when corruption is, is when there's light shed on corruption. He doesn't want things hidden because God actually loves the victims. If you've ever been victimized, if you've ever been oppressed, if you've ever felt like powerful people have taken advantage of you, this story is an encouragement. God sees you. God saw Bathsheba, God saw Uriah, and he acted on their behalf. But secondly, all of us are like David in that we've done things that if we had to pass judgment on ourselves, we'd be pretty harsh. Except we don't tend to see the, the negatives in our, in, our own, in our own lives a lot of times. Right? 
So God will actually do, and, and Jesus is so clear when he talks about that in, um, in Matthew, he's, he's teaching and it's in his Sermon on the Mount and he's trying to show people, he's saying like the, the judgment that we tend to pass off on other people, like God is so fair that, that God's not even going to use his standard of judgment. He'll just use your own. So to encounter Jesus means to come to this realization of, man, I actually deserve judgment. Even based on my own standards of judgment, I deserve it. But thank God for his grace. And here's how we're going to close. I think, we got, I think we're okay. We just got a little bit of a, little bit of a, not quite a shower. Um, I'm going to invite the team to come up. And, and uh, they're going to read David's prayer of repentance before we sing this last uh, song or two. But, but here's how I want to close this, is that if, if you're here today and you're listening to this story, and you're aware of some failure or some sin in your own life, maybe, maybe just hearing this and hearing about how David passed judgment on himself that made you think of something in your own life that uh, you know, if, you know for, if God is acting righteously, that you would get judgment for. I just want to encourage you to call out to him. The reason Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose again was because all of us, have been like David. Maybe, maybe you hear David's story and you're like, oh, my stuff's not as bad as David. At least I didn't do that kind of scandal. But all of us have done things that went against our own conscience. All of us have grieved God's heart in some way. And God, in his grace, has made provision for that in Jesus Christ. Like, that's what it means to be, you know what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Is to, is to actually believe that what Jesus did when he came and lived this perfect life and died a brutal death on the cross, that he did that for us. That, and then he rose again with this promise of if you put your hope in me, your, your sins are forgiven. So like the death happens because of sin. But when your faith is in Jesus Christ, we actually have this hope of resurrection because he rose. He's the first of us to do that. And when our hope is in him, he, he comes in and he changes everything. So I hope your, your heart is encouraged today to see how God deals with uh, with, with scandals and, and, and when things are being exposed, when things are being brought to light, I believe that is an act of God. He, he wants evil and wickedness to be exposed. So we, we, and we can be encouraged by that when we see that happening kind of in institutions or in the church on a larger scale. But then if we actually are honest and take a look at our own lives, what that means is that things are going to be exposed in our own lives. And that's where I really want to um, land our hearts and minds on, on today is that as those things are brought up in your heart and mind, come to Jesus surrender to him because his grace is for you. The, the last thought with this is that, uh, and this is, this is a whole sermon in itself, but I'll just, just say this and I'm going to pray and we'll have the team close with a couple songs. But the consequences of sin still exist after we encounter Jesus. I heard a story this week uh, about a lady down in the States um, that was, um, she was killed on death row. So she had committed this murder in the 80s and famously uh, she came to Jesus like while she's on death row. Okay, So she's already been condemned of her crime. She came to Jesus and they were brutal, heinous crimes. And she had this real encounter with Jesus. There's a book about her life. She led people to Christ. It's this incredible story. 
And so she had, from the moment um, she was sentenced, she had 14 years until she was going to die on death row because she had all these appeals and everything. And during that 14 years, she had like a ministry, like while she's on death row serving Jesus. And there was even legal people that were advocating for her to get a lesser sentence, that she would have life without parole. But she ended up in 1998, I think it was, she died on death row. And, and it almost sounds like it's this sad story, but but what I see, and the reason I'm tying it into this story is because sometimes the consequences of, of actions that have been done still exist, but God takes the guilt away. I believe with all my heart, this lady, Carla Faye Tucker, if you ever want to look her up, um, she's with Jesus. Like God has totally changed her life uh, and she's with him in eternity. But there were still consequences from the things that, that she had done. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. David deals with some of the consequences of his actions um, in the rest of his time as king. But in the midst of it, he's, he experiences the incredible grace of God. And when we're made right with God, our hope is, is, is with him for all eternity. And, and that is incredible hope. Um, so let's, let's just stand. I'm going to pray. And uh, if God's speaking to you today, as always, um, the altars are open. If, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus and you want to, um, I encourage you to come and, and talk to, to one of us as leadership or, or in your seat. Just surrender to Jesus and invite him in. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Victor's testimony. Thank you for the, uh, the story in the scripture that we looked at today. Uh, and God, I just pray that if there's anybody here that has not yet surrendered their life to you, that they would hear your voice calling uh, and that they would put their faith in you, Jesus, because of what you've done on, on the cross for us, making a way for us to, to have hope with you for eternity. And Lord, we also just thank you that this story is an encouragement. We, we have all been exposed to, to things that have happened in the church and sometimes in your name that should not have happened. And God, we just thank you that you don't sweep things under the rug, that you don't make excuses for people that have done evil and horrible things, that you actually expose it because you want to bring healing. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here today that maybe has been a victim of something um, that's been even just difficult to process and deal with, Lord, that they would, they would uh, experience your hope and your peace and your love and your mercy today. Uh, may they may they sense you, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen.